Welcome to the WP Tonic WordPress and SaaS podcast. Jonathan Denwood and his co-host Stephen Souder interview the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Take it away, guys. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. This is episode 653. Got a great entrepreneur, founder of a couple of great companies. We've got Golden Gale with us, and he's got a new company, Rayleon. Um, he's going to be telling us about this new company, about his experiences with his other company, um, it's going to be a great show. Um, I'm going to let um, Jordan introduce himself. So would you like to give a quick 20, 30 second introduction to the tribe? Sure thing. Good to be here, Jonathan and Stephen. Thanks very much for having me on the pod. Uh, my name, like you mentioned, is Jordan Gall. I run a company called Rally On. I used to run a company called Cardhook. Uh, they're similar. They share DNA. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I grew up in an immigrant entrepreneur household. So this was always kind of destined for me. And I live in Portland with my wife and kids. And I'm looking forward to getting into all the stuff on the professional side and how the personal impacts it, whatever we have in store. That's great. And I've got my great co-host, Stephen. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself to the new listeners and viewers of the tribe? Yeah, my name's Stephen Satter uh, from hustlefish.com. That's great. And before we go into this great interview that I've been really looking forward to, I've got a message from one of my major sponsors. We'll be back in a few moments. Hi there, folks. I just wanted to tell you about our major sponsor, and that's Castos. If you're looking to get into podcasting for yourself or for clients, you need a top-quality podcasting platform, and that's what you get with Castos. It has a superb interface, really easy to use, and you're not penalised for success. They have a flat-rate pricing structure. Don't matter how many podcasts you make, how many downloads you achieve, you'll just pray one fixed rate with Castos, plus their support and just the quality of the people are just amazing. Also, for the WP Tonic Tribe, Castos is just offering an amazing deal. If you go to the WP Tonic website, backlink newsletter, you can get your first six months at half price. That's right, half price. That's only an exclusive offer to you, the tribe. Also, you'll be able to sign up for the WP Tonic weekly newsletter, which keeps you informed about all the stories and what's happening in the WP Tonic tribe. Please show your support for the show and support Castos. It's a fantastic platform. We're coming back. Also, like to point out if you're interested in buying a sponsorship spot on the show, you can buy just one show, three months, six months. We've got various packages. All you have to do is go to the WP Tonic slash um, sponsorship and you'll be able to see all the packages we offer. It's a great way of getting yourself in front of the WordPress community. So, Jordan, let's start off. Um, Maybe you can just give a, a slightly more detailed background about your history, about why you started Carthook, and what has led to the new company. 
Only a small question, Jordan. Yeah, no big deal. I, I think I can do it in, in, you know, a relatively short amount of time. And uh, I'll get to how the two companies share a DNA. So my adventures in e-commerce started roughly 10 years ago when I started my own e-commerce company. And we were selling niche products online. We were really going after the CSN stores and net shops model. Those two companies would eventually become Wayfair and Hayneedle. But the way they started off was having hundreds of very niche sites. So we basically followed along with where they were putting their advertising dollars, and then we would clone those sites. So we had like a network of very niche sites, and that's that's how I got my start in e-commerce. Um, ran that company for about a year and then sold it off. Uh, it wasn't like a big crazy exit. It was really because we were selling products that were available elsewhere online. And in an Amazon world, that didn't feel like it was going to work out for us. You really have to get <coughs> to a massive scale like Wayfair uh, and Hayneedle. Um, so we sold it off, but that's what got me into e-commerce. And I wanted to stay in e-commerce, but move over to the software world. And that's when I launched Cardhook. Uh, Cardhook started off as an abandoned card app. It was really an attempt to build a better version of a terrible piece of software that we used that gave us great ROI every month. Every month we pay like $79 a month and this thing would make us $5,000 every single month. So I figured, you know what? I think I want to be that guy on the other end of this deal and just built a better version of that. So we ran that for about a year and a half in the WooCommerce space, Volusion. Um, and then when we went to do an integration with Shopify, that had me staring at the Shopify checkout for a few weeks. And from my time as an e-commerce entrepreneur and how much we optimized our checkout, uh, I, I spotted what I thought was a bigger opportunity. I thought, you know what? I bet people in the Shopify space want more customization of their checkout. And so that we took a big risk and built a second product as a team of four. And that's what the Carthook checkout uh, turned into. Uh, and that product you know, took off. So we did 100 million in processing the first year in business, and then 600 million in year two, and then over a billion in year three. Um, and our product allowed Shopify merchants to use our checkout instead of Shopify's, and we enabled a bunch of features in there. Um, so that was great, but it set us on a collision course with Shopify because we were poking them right where the business model is, which is at the transaction layer and at the GMV and so on. Um, so about a year ago, Shopify came to us and said, all right, we need, we need you to stop doing that. <laughs> and, uh, and we need you to, to move over to be a supported app that does your post-purchase upsell, your most popular feature, but inside of the Shopify checkout. So two things happened at the same time. Uh, the first thing that happened was we said, yes, we should do that because that's the right thing to do for the company. And the second thing that happened in my head, a switch turned. And that was, I'm, I'm done working with Shopify. And so I put a new CEO in place, and she's been running the company for the past uh, year. And I went off and started Rally uh, with Rock, who's my co-founder, um, and a few other people. And now we're building a checkout product, but for the rest of the web. And you could see how the freedom, that mindset that WooCommerce brings uh, is very attractive to us and why we are making our way in, into, into this ecosystem. With... Rally and building a checkout interface for the rest of the web. Does that like, does that overlay into Shopify stuff at all, or the rest of the web except Shopify? That, that's right. Everyone except Shopify. That's right. Cool. And, and the, the reason for that is because they they do an incredibly good job at monetizing payments, and so mm. 
over time, they've realized that they're effectively a checkout company with an ecosystem yeah. around it. And that's what their market cap is tied to and their stock price and everything else. And so they've made a concerted effort to make sure that all revenue goes through their checkout. So they've they've had similar experiences with Cardhook and with OCU, which was one of our competitors, with Recharge that handles subscriptions. And so the writing's on the wall for anyone running a checkout on Shopify. It's not, it's not going to work out. And so there's still a lot of value to add to merchants with an independent checkout that really focuses exclusively on checkout as opposed to an e-commerce platform that has a lot of things to worry about. Um, so that's where we fit in. Uh, we see what's happening right now in e-commerce is a pretty traditional unbundling. Uh, so Shopify did an incredibly good job at bundling the stack and making it easier for people to come online and have no code and so on. Uh, but now it's starting to become unbundled because merchants want more control. They want more control over the front end shopping experience. They want more control over the back end and what's right for them. And so in an unbundled e-commerce world, we want to play the transaction layer in a very platform agnostic way. You could do whatever you want on the front end. You could do whatever you want on the back end. And here's this great checkout for you to use instead of rebuilding yourself. That's really the, that's really interesting the way you said it kind of comes the fl- the flux comes back and forth. You know, you've been quite you no. Know, I went to um, MicroConf in Portland, and you were one of the um, speakers there, and you were quite, I thought, very balanced and fair about reflecting on your relationship with Shopify, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Would you like to touch that in in this interview? Some of the things you've reflected about your ongoing relationship with Shopify. Sure, I, I think it's a really important topic because entrepreneurs, um, our peer group, if you want to call it, um, very often build on platforms, mm-hmm. and there's there's big pro and a big con, right? The pro is that the audience is all bundled together. And the distribution is relatively straightforward. You kind of know, right? You can go to Built With and download sites that are using Shopify or Magento or Salesforce or WooCommerce. Um, So you can reach them. There are app stores. There are communities. And that's what draws us to building on top of platforms. We identify gaps in the platform's functionality and we build apps to add value to the merchants or customers of that platform. Um, That's the pro. Uh, The con is that you are building on rented land and that doesn't always work out for you. And it's tough to tell at the beginning whether or not it's going to work out for you. It worked out for us for quite a while. We built a great business, 25 person company, 6 million ARR, profitable, just took a little bit of friends and family money. It was basically my fantasy business. It's my dream. I used to go into the office every day. I used to fly to Slovenia to see our our, uh, European office with another 10 people there uh, every few months. I, I mean... I was very happy. I worked really hard. It was really ugly the first few years. And then we got to a place where it's it's a fantastic company, Um, but didn't work out for us. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean Shopify is a bunch of like evil people. That's, that's That's not really it. It's their platform and it's their right. And it is, uh, the power is in their hands to exercise, to defend their business. So this happens normally. Uh, there's a great 
article by Chris Dixon called Why Decentralization Matters. This is really like the article that brought me into crypto and decentralization. And I always looked at crypto and thought it was interesting, but I never understood how it fit into what we were doing until I read this article. And what it talks about is the the S-curve of a platform lifecycle, where on the way up, the pie gets bigger so fast. And effectively, it's a party for everyone. Both the platform and its complements, right? In Shopify's case, it's app developers and agencies and service providers. Everybody wins on the way up. But at the top of the S-curve, as the growth starts to slow, and very often when a company goes public, um, there's there's a lot of value to be had. And there's one party in the equation that has almost all of the power. And it is their fiduciary responsibility to grab as much of that value as possible. So this isn't like a good evil thing. This is just a, this is how it's done. This is just what ends up happening. And you see it in Facebook. You see it in these social platforms. You see it on Twitter, kicking people off of their API. And these are, many of them are great companies. Um, But as the entrepreneur without the power, uh, you can get yourself squeezed. (laughs) So uh, yeah, so I like to talk about that topic because maybe we were at the tip of that spear and we had a uniquely difficult experience, uh, but it's not that unique. Uh, I know a lot of people in different ecosystems, and when you go behind the scenes and talk to founders, a lot of them are quite worried and scared of the platform, and I would I would love to see less of that. As a kind of follow-through observation, I think Shopify, in all fairness, because, you know, I'm, I'm a WordPress junkie. I'm, I make my living through WordPress... I've been doing this podcast for almost nine years now. God help me. Uh, um, so I'm mean, really engrossed in open source and the principles of WordPress. But on reflection, Shopify, they could have been re- a lot more nastier to you, really, couldn't they? You know, I get the, I don't know too much about them as a company. You, you agree with a little bit, but. Um, compared to some other stories and how some other companies act. But the principles are just the same. Basically, they can do whatever they want, can't they? That's right. Yeah, and, and as a platform matures, uh, more of it tends to happen. Right, and, and so the, that traditional platform life cycle that all of us look at and really kind of accept as a fact of life uh, the exciting thing about Web3 is that it, it starts to challenge that as a uh, – it challenges the assumption that this is the way it has to be. Um, and that, that part of it is exciting, and you can, you can tell why it would be exciting to me given my, my experience. And so we look to these new versions of the principles that are actually quite similar to WordPress's founding principles, um, and we want to apply them to commerce, and, and that, that part of it is exciting. Because some of the concerns that you've um, outlined have increasingly been entering the discussion, the public discussion in the WordPress community because of all the capital that's been invested in in the founder's private company, Automatic, from Salesforce.com, mm-hmm. an enormous injection of capital you know, hundreds of millions of dollars have come from Salesforce.com into Automatic. So obviously they're going to require a return on a very large investment. 
And this has caused a lot of concerns, discussions, worries. So it's all linked. Mm -hmm. Um, Over to you, Steve. Yeah, I I would love to dive into this idea of decentralization on an e-commerce level, because I think a lot of times when you're thinking about a website, you're also thinking, an e-commerce website, you're thinking about the website component of it and the product shopping cart checkout component of it, right? Like Shopify, right? Maybe I'm going there to sell a product, but I'm also building an entire website there. Or uh, like Squarespace, I go there to build a website. They also have e-commerce stuff that get plugged in. Or if I'm using WordPress, you know, I'm going to grab WooCommerce. Um, There's just like these very standard kind of linear paths. Uh, But all of a sudden, like you're kind of talking about, no, like your website is one thing, and e-commerce is something else that's like not tied to it from a company kind of standpoint. What can you dive into that and kind of explain how that works or what does that look like um, from a theory and also like from like from a very specific sort of angle as well? Okay, the the, the way I look at this is um, if you think about an online store, it's it's 2021, but almost all of the online stores we experience are very direct analogies to the offline buying experience. Right. You have a homepage that's a storefront. You have category pages that are aisles. You have product pages that are standing in front of the product looking at it. Then you literally still put it into a cart and then you go to a checkout line. So that that analogy made a lot of sense 20 years ago when we were just trying to figure out, okay, how do people buy online? Uh, How do they buy offline? And let's see if we can mimic that experience and kind of match those expectations. So that's been the way online stores have been built for a really long time. But the tech now is good enough that it doesn't really have to be that way. We should be able to do whatever we want on the tech, especially on the front end buying experience. Um, we still need to match expectations and meet expectations because people, uh, especially around the checkout, anything you do that doesn't match expectations is bad, <laughs> right? If you go city, zip, state, instead of city, state, zip, all of a sudden conversion goes off. So you really have to match those expectations. Uh, I think what excites us is if you separate the checkout from the underlying platform or from an underlying platform, you do give the merchant a lot more freedom on what to do on the front end. And that that helps them find the customers where they are. So right now, it's very much I'm scrolling Instagram, and now I need to leave Instagram, and I need to go to a product page, I need to add something to the cart, I need to put something in the checkout, I need to get to the thank you page, I need to check my email, and then I go back to Instagram. That is a uh, disjointed experience. I think that changes a lot over the next few years. Uh, I think about virtual experiences, I think about walking around a virtual store, um, I've been watching Ready Player One a lot, try to like picture this stuff, where this goes. And if I'm inside of Decentraland in a virtual experience and I'm going into the Nike store there, I can't leave that experience the same way and go off to a different website. So that front end buying experience needs to come all the way up to where the shopper is. In this case, you know, it's in a virtual store. Now, at the same time, you still have to get you got to get boring at some point. You need to transact and then you need to take the order information. You need to send it back to the order management system so that someone can put it into a box and put it on a carrier and then a plane and then on a truck and get it delivered. So there's this mashup happening around front-end experience, back-end experiences, um, and that is made easier when the checkout can float. Mm. Right? What, what happens in, in some platforms, let's take Shopify for example, it's relatively rigid in that 
you need to go to the storefront and the storefront is a visual representation of the product database. And then you need to transact in one place at the checkout, wherever you are, you're going to get back to the checkout and then they can handle the backend fulfillment and order management and so on. So I think commerce changes a lot over the next few years and an independent checkout that doesn't tell you what you can and can't do around the, uh, the front end experience is valuable. That that makes so much sense because like the reason why Shopify is easy to use or WordPress and WooCommerce is easy to use or uh, Squarespace is easy to use because they make all these expectations. The expectation is products are organized like this, products are displayed like that, and here are the options that you can have. But that automatically sticks you in this very predefined box with a predefined user journey. And you don't have that flexibility to say, what happens if somebody comes in from a different angle? Which everybody, which today, like the angle that somebody is coming into an e-commerce store is from all over. Uh, it's not just right. someone's not Googling your site or going directly to it like they used to as much. Um, there's a thousand ways somebody can wind up there. And That's right. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Like if, and if right you decouple now, that, you have that flexibility back. That's right. Because right now, no matter where you're coming from as a traffic source, everyone's got to go to the same product page. And just from a yeah. conversion point of view alone, sending all of your varied traffic to the same product page, already you know that's not going to work as well as matching the buying experience to where the traffic source is coming from. Well, that's great. We need to go for our break. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Hi there, folks. Are you looking to build modern shopping cart landing pages using the power of WooCommerce for yourself or for clients? And you want to do that quickly with little need to know about hand coding? Well, if the answer is yes, and it should be, I've got the perfect answer for you, and that's Launch Flows. Launch Flows is the most modern and easiest way of building modern landing shopping pages for your clients. It also works natively with Gutenberg and the leading page builders like Elementor or Divi. It's really flexible, really powerful. Plus, if you go to the WP Tonic website, backlink newsletter, you'll get an amazing deal of the Launch Flows lifetime deal. I think you almost get a third off, which is just amazing. And it's just an exclusive offer to you, the tribe. Please show your support for Launch Flows, who's a sponsor of the WP Tonic podcast and for the show itself. It's much appreciated. Hi there, folks. Are you involved in the building of new websites or supporting WordPress websites as a freelancer or agency owner? If the answer is yes, we've got a great tool here, Avarine. As you know, you can waste a tremendous amount of time with email or phone tag with your clients around a new WordPress build out or supporting multiple websites. It can be a real pain in the posterior. But with Avarine, you get essential interface where clients can log in and with a easy visual interface, they can show you the changes they require. It's a real game changer and it will save a tremendous amount of time and frustration, not only for yourself, for your team, also, Avarim have given us a great offer. It basically only costs you $1 to try their program. It's really fantastic. If that sounds interesting, go to the WP Tonic website, WP Tonic, backlink newsletter, and you'll be able to try this great product, like I say, for just $1. What a fantastic offer. See you soon, folks. We're coming back. We've had a great discussion. Uh, Jordan, 
obviously passionate about his product, about all this. These are the type of guests that I love when they come on the show. Um, before we go into the other part, the second half of the interview, I just want to point out, um, if you're interested in um, getting some recommendations about plugins, WordPress services, anything that I've used, I've got a page that recommends things that I think are best in the WordPress ecosystem, just go to WPTonic slash recommendations and there'll be a whole list there for you of everything that I recommend personally. So, but I don't give any guarantees, folks. Don't come <laughs> back to me if it doesn't work out for you. Uh, um, let's go back into this great interview. Um, so, you know, I've got a, a two-part question here, which is good for me, Jordan. Normally they're 15 parts. Uh, um, so I'll make a joke of it there. Um, so how do you see um, Radion's relationship with WooCommerce? And secondly, the wording on your website, you say a community-owned ecosystem. What does that really mean? Sure. And secondly, why don't you just make the thing open source? Yes. Okay. All good questions. So that was three, by the way. That, that was three, actually. <laughs> it was, actually. Yeah. All right. Now I'm going to have trouble remembering all three parts, but the no, first part, I, let's I, talk to I do about. that all the time. It's terrible. <laughs> it's okay. I, I also speak with too many commas. Um, all right. So let's look at WordPress. Um, when we think of where Rally fits and which merchants will be attracted to it and which communities we want to work in, to us, it was it was very obvious that we were going to go toward WooCommerce. Um, I think we share a lot of ideology and DNA with it. Uh, I like that WooCommerce puts the merchant in control, and it's also the type of merchant that wants to be in control. And our product, it really takes a set of pages in, in an e-commerce business's life that normally they don't really control. It's usually owned by the backend platform, and you really start to lose a lot of control when you get to the checkout. And we like to flip that on its head and say, this is completely yours, and you can do all these new stuff with it. Um, so for a, a variety of reasons, it made sense to us to go toward WooCommerce. Um, number two was the community-owned. What was number three? I think maybe number three was, was better to go first. <laughs> Um, you know, you got work, you got you got community on your website. You got community owned ecosystem. What does that actually mean? Sure. All right. So let's get into this. So hopefully, I, I can do a, a good enough job explaining this in, in like a minute or so. So, if we think about an e commerce, uh, let's just think about an e commerce platform. Uh, you have the front end, you have the back end, and then you have the transaction layer in between the two. Right, the checkout. Now. In, in let's take Shopify's case, uh, where the power comes from is the checkout. That's where you can really tell people what they can and can't do. Uh, that's where you can do things like you can have features only if you use their preferred payment processing method, things like that. So a lot of the business model ends up focused on the checkout and a lot of the power and sometimes coercion happens at the point of checkout. So now, if we look at where we want things to go into a more headless uh, ecosystem where the merchant really can choose their front end, choose their back end, and choose their checkout. If we want to succeed in a new environment like that, really our ideal is that we connect with a bunch of front ends and a bunch of back ends and we become this unifying 
uh, checkout layer, which is great and can be really good for the business. The, the issue there is if we don't watch out, we'll end up in the same exact position as Shopify, where we'll do the coercion and we'll have the power because all the payments will go through us. So if we succeed, we'll end up on the same S-curve as any other platform. And the whole goal of the company is to avoid that. And so when we think about how we avoid that and how we do it in such a way that's still financially feasible and incentivizing to ourselves, where we, where we end up is looking toward Web3 and looking toward using a token in a very specific way. And so if you think about what Shopify does, right, they have a front end, they have a back end, and then they have a gate that goes through the middle. And that gate is the checkout and all the transactions go through that gate. And that's the opportunity to tax that gate. So you take a portion of that as your take rate and you bring that home to your shareholders and, and like a traditional business is happy. So we just have the gate. We're just building the gate and we want to work in a cooperative way with the front and the back end. So we kind of have to think long term in this. We can't just extract. Otherwise, we'll end up in fights with everybody. It won't work out for, for us. So instead of using our gate to take home all the value, what we want to do is take that value in the form of the payment processing revenue and drive that value into a token. And that token is earned by the merchants using the checkout as they process revenue. So as you process revenue, you earn tokens. And so what ends up happening is as the uh, project, as the company grows, the more revenue is processed through the checkout. Instead of us keeping all of that value and revenue, it gets driven back into the token that's owned by the people who are actually driving the, the transactions. So in that way, it becomes an e-commerce ecosystem, a network that's owned by the merchants that are actually processing through it. Did that make sense? You lost me a little bit, but I'm not the sharpest tool, but I don't think I'm the bluntest either, but I think you're a bit sharper than me. So our... Um, we we can deal. We can get so got to follow and then put it over to Steve. So, um, how you how are you going to make money? Because obviously you're not a charity. And secondly, why don't why don't you just make the whole thing open source? Yes. So that right, that third question I think is really really important. Um, it may be that in the future we do end up as open source, and really we might end up being hosted in a decentralized way so no one can even take it down, not ourselves. But I see that as off in the future. And the reason for that is because there's nothing like a small group of very interested people to get a project off the ground. And so, you know, I, I have a lot of ideology behind this, but I'm insistent on the fact that it needs to be closed source and controlled by a small group of people in the beginning. It, to me, that's like, by, it gives it by far a better chance of success yeah. as opposed to an open source project off the bat. But you, you've, you've, you've publicly stated, I feel, that you've got a six million investment. Those investors want a return and you mm -hmm. need to make a return. That's right. Um, how... How does that work with your aspirations of it being open source? Mm -hmm. So this is this is where things start to get interesting in terms of different business models in Web3. So the investors, right now, they're in equity, right? They, are, uh, they own stock in the company. Um, in the future, what we want to do is bring on investors, including the existing investors, and move their ownership into 
the token instead of our company equity. And what that allows you to do is to um, operate almost as a public good. Right. So let me explain what I mean by that. One of the things that crypto can address in an interesting way is the tragedy of the commons. Right. You have a park down the block that no one cares about. It goes to hell compared to the yard in front of your house that you care about that you maintain. Right. The interesting thing that crypto can do in terms of business models is it can set up a situation where we as an independent, private, profit motivated company can own a significant portion of the tokens. And so as long as the token value goes up, we remain financially incentivized. So the merchants can own, right, in the future, in the model, in the future, a few years out, the merchants own more of the tokens than we do. But we can still operate it from a very incentivized point of view because we all own the tokens. And as long as it's being used and the value goes up, then the company can make money also. So that's like the bigger version of it. And along the way, there's revenue in payment processing. There's payment processing partnerships. And we charge merchants directly. And as they earn tokens, they pay us less. So you start off paying us 50 basis points. And then as you earn more, you go down to 40 and then down to 30 and then down to 20 and so on. And that's part of what drives the value in the token. It's that that money, instead of going to us, it's going back into the uh, the token itself. And and this idea of the token is that someone could sell that token and get like if I own a token, can I sell a token or is that token just a credit for a lower price on the checkout? You, you can also sell it. Right. It's yours. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. So 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 if 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 a transaction, 50 cents of every transaction, let's say, goes to this, skimmed off the top, goes to this token system, you guys are entitled to a certain portion of that because you own the tokens to it. As a e-commerce person, I also am entitled to part of that because I have some tokens from doing the sales. And as the community grows and gets bigger, we all develop more and more uh, money out of these tokens from just sending more and more people through our checkout process. That's right. So it's it's our job okay, cool. to make them as valuable as possible to own and stake as opposed yeah. to sell. So hence the discounts instead of paying full price and governance in terms of what happens with the project, what happens with the roadmap. So we have to drive the benefit of holding on to it as mm-hmm. high as possible um, so that supply comes off of the market as opposed to gets dumped onto the market. Do you feel like um, there is a roadmap in trying to educate the e-commerce people about how the system works? Yes. Or is that, or is that some like, is it fairly familiar to people with Bitcoin and all these other cryptos out there and how they kind of operate? No, I, I think it's effectively, uh, I, I just think of it as 0%, right? I, <laughs> yes, the people who are into crypto will be attracted to it, but our yeah. assumptions and how we operate and what's in our admin and what's in our UI and so on is that you don't need to think about any of this stuff. All you know is that you're getting benefit. Yeah. And so you don't have to, yeah, that's, that's one of the bigger challenges. And I think that's a bigger challenge for the market as a whole because, right, all this infrastructure got built and all this DeFi got built and the learning curve to get into it is preposterously high and dangerous. And so the, this next wave of companies like ourselves and uh, there's a company out there called Brain Trust, which is like a decentralized upward competitor, we have to build the application layer on top of this infrastructure in such a way that obfuscates all the tech and the weirdness and the danger and all that. 
We just need to bring the yeah. benefit up, which is it's a fun challenge, actually. Right, yeah. I think we're going to wrap up the podcast of the show. Hopefully, Georgian can stay on with us for the bonus content, which is about another 15 minutes. Cool. We're going to do a bit of a dive around Bit, um, Bitcoin, about blockchain, um, about, I think I'm following his vision. I just want to confirm it in the bonus content. <laughs> uh, um, so, Jordan, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and and Raylon? Uh, yes, go to rallyon.com. If you're interested in what we're talking about, go to the blog. I wrote three blog posts that kind of lay out a lot of the stuff about our experience, what's happening in the market, and where we're going. Uh, especially the people out there rolling their eyes just from uh, hearing the word crypto. I encourage you to go check it out. Um, and then follow me on Twitter at Jordan Gall if you just want to say hi. Yes, do that. I think Jordan's doing some really interesting stuff for Raylon. It's going to be great to see where it goes. Stephen, um, how can people find out more about you, your thoughts and your company? Yeah, just head over to hustlefish.com. That's great. And if you want to get more involved with the tribe, get some real insights of what I'm doing with the podcast, future guests, get part of the community discussion, join the WP Tonic Facebook group. Um, it's the WP Mastermind group about which helps, tries to help anybody trying to make a living in the world of WordPress. So please join us there. Um, we're, we're always trying to encourage a bigger discussion. We'll be back next week with another fantastic guest. It's going to be our last show of two, 2021. Um, and we've got a great guest as well, a bit like Jordan. It's going to be a great discussion. And please join us for the bonus content, which you'll find on the WP Tonic YouTube channel. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the WP Tonic Podcast, the podcast that gives you a dose of WordPress medicine twice a week.